Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Photographic Underground. Today I have with me Austin Ziprick from Yucaipa, California, owner of Cloud9 Studios, still photographer, filmmaker, entrepreneur. I hope you enjoy the show. So uh, thanks for being on the show today. And um, so how are you doing this morning? Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. I'm doing great. So Austin, you're in uh, Yucaipa right now. That is correct. Cool. All right. Uh, and uh, you say you're 23. 23, yes. 23, and you're a freelance uh, photographer and filmmaker. Yep. Now, how did you how did you achieve that at such a young age? Well, Mike, uh, I can't take a ton of credit uh, for initiating it. I uh, I kind of fell into it when my family and I moved to Yucaipa. Uh, next door neighbor of mine just so happened to be a gentleman who had been doing commercial video and uh, photography um, for many, many years. And I uh, had never really met anyone who had done that before. And so it just kind of intrigued me. So I was kind of just hanging out around him, just trying to see what he was all about. And uh, he thankfully didn't get too annoyed at me. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, he just kind of almost took me under his wing a little bit and uh, kind of had a mentor figure for, for a number of years. And um, so that was kind of my introduction to it. But for a while, it was more of a um, kind of a, a hobby, amateur interest. But uh, about two years ago, I had uh, a few kind of unique opportunities that kind of sparked the switch in my mind from, oh, this is something fun that I like to do to, oh, no, this is something I would like to do as a profession. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the people that I know, uh, they always uh, were wondering, well, shooting for fun is, is fun. Anybody can do that. And it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, shooting professionally is a little more difficult. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. And a lot of people who do not have a mentor don't have that opportunity, even though they'd like to do that professionally, they simply don't have the opportunity to do it. To, they simply don't have the opportunity to do it. Yeah. I, I don't pretend that my story is, is not, you know, something that someone else could easily replicate. Uh, and so I've, I've often thought like, hey, if someone came to me asking for advice, like, oh, how could I get into it? So I'm like, well, I can't really give you my game plan, but, you know, I can try to give you what what advice I can on, you know, getting yourself out there to other clients and putting your best foot forward and all that. But uh, but, yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting uh, dilemma, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I guess a ways back that uh, his name was uh well, his real name is Felix, but he goes by Q, mm-hmm. and he t- told a similar story where he was um, shooting for fun. He really liked it, and he thought that he might like to do that professionally, and he ended up um, happen- happening upon this uh, uh, another shooter that um, uh, showed him a lot of uh, uh, how to – uh, monetize what he was doing. So mm-hmm. he was lucky there too. So. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. of it just kind of comes down to if you're in the right place at the right time and you know, the right people. Um, yeah. and you know, if you're, you're ready and, and able to, you know, quote unquote capitalize on it. Um, yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> you just got yeah. your, your good break. Yeah. You also, you do have to, uh, on the flip side of that, you also be, have to be motivated to do that because mm-hmm. most people, um, uh, <sighs> People don't have um, 
the self-confidence a lot of times in order to do something that they don't think it, uh, well, like, well, I was a musician for a long time, of course. Oh, I would really? constantly hear, yeah, I was a bassist, a harmonica player. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, of course, my father was um, middle class uh, from Washington, and for him, uh, nine to five was how you how you made a living. So right. for him, being a um, being a musician was not really the way it was it, it was um, meant to be. And so when I would ask him or talk to him, you know, it, it, it was nothing but but negativity, like oh well, you know, you can't do that, or you know. So one of the important things that I try to uh, push on this um, on this uh, podcast is that um, you uh, you make your own destiny. You don't mm-hmm. wait until it shows up. You want right. it and you take it. There was exactly. a yeah yeah yeah. Don't you don't you don't let people tell you what you're going to be doing because if you do that, then you're living at their mercy. So yep. yeah. So I always tell people if you want it, go get it. You don't have to you don't have to wait to get permission. That's another thing. Yeah. Is um okay. You, I don't know if you've seen this uh, uh, this kind of dilemma on uh, Facebook or Instagram. It's where people will be asking other people about their work, and a lot of times they'll mm. refer to it as yeah. A lot of times yep. they'll refer to it as uh, constructive criticism, which I uh-huh. believe is neither constructive nor critical. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I do not. Pre- I do not think that that is the way to go, especially when you don't even know these people and you're never going to meet these people. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So generally, my opinion has always been you should find somebody that you respect if if you're going to do it at all. Is it a an opinion that you're getting on your work that is actually you know valuable and that you um you have trust in and that you you already know is uh, vetted and verified so to speak hmm. uh, and worthwhile. Um, hmm. Now you know <laughs> personally myself, I am not above. Uh, posting maybe a, a thing of my work um, in some of those Facebook groups under the guise of constructive criticism to you know get a little get a little traffic get some eyeballs on it so uh, you know th- there can sometimes be uh, ulterior motives to asking for constructive criticism um, and and I don't knock people for trying to do that because when you're starting off from nothing you know you're just trying to get get some people to look at it and you know get a little traction so to speak but but if you're actually looking for um, ways to improve and, you know, uh, getting actual, um, you know, feedback, so to speak, that's valuable. You know, you gotta, you gotta vet your, your resources and the people that you're, you're farming it out to and, and seeing, well, is, is their opinion actually worth anything? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, so we were talking about, uh, constructive criticism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, if you're a photographer or a filmmaker or any, uh, if you're doing any creative pursuit and you want people's opinions about what you're doing, Instagram and uh, social media, that's definitely the way to go because you cannot possibly reach uh, that number of people with your own private website. It's simply not. People don't don't right. go looking for for um, for portfolio websites mm-hmm. on a regular basis. But yeah. they hang out in Instagram. They hang out at Facebook. Yep. Snapchat and they go scrolling around and they try to and they see new things and and um, you can actually target certain audience demographics Mm -hmm. with a good hashtag strategy. So, yeah, uh, so definitely, even though people complain, um, it's definitely um, where you should be hanging out at. Yep, you got to go where the people are. Yeah, you do. You do. You have to target your demographic. And if you don't, you are um, shooting yourself in the foot. There was a big thing uh, because I shoot a lot of film and Mm -hmm. there was a. a lot of talk. Uh, the film 
community is really um, uh, click oriented and and really uh, they have a hierarchical uh, structure and mm. uh, they don't uh, it, yeah probably not the best belly probably not the best place to be hanging out but one of the things that they uh, they talk about is um, post processing and um, Lightroom and and mm-hmm. uh, uh, ACDC uh, Affinity. Yep. Uh, all the other many many upcoming um, um, software editing tools. Yeah, and all, all the that, new, yeah. all the upcoming uh, all the new upcoming um, softwares that are coming that are um, um, coming onto the scene, and um, they will talk about. Um, well, what they'll be saying basically is that you shouldn't be editing quite as much, and that you shouldn't be using that kind of software. But we know that in digital, uh, the post processing software is part of the workflow. And in film, they try to claim that it's not. Although you you really can do a lot uh, in post on film. Mm. But um, yeah. So one of the things that they will try to do is is um, uh, claim that you should not be using. Um, post-processing software quite as much uh within the film photography community you're shooting uh did you're shooting your uh your video digital yes okay digital yep yeah what um just out of interest what uh software are you using uh 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 your editing software what are you using uh for the time being i'm an adobe guy so you know when i'm doing photos it's lightroom maybe a little bit of photoshop here and there i try not to get too deep into that program Mm. but when i'm doing video I, i i use premiere and um, I, I've messed around a little bit with uh, DaVinci Resolve, but um, it's definitely uh, Premiere is definitely my bread and butter uh, that I'm most familiar with. Yeah, I, yeah, I use Adobe too. I uh, primarily use Lightroom myself, but uh, they just mm-hmm. released um, a new update to uh, Photoshop that's got uh, some really cool things in it. And one of the things that it had mm. was sky replacement. Which oh was, yeah, uh, I haven't seen yeah. about that. Okay, yeah. yeah, here's the thing: it's freaking cool. <laughs> it does look uh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I used it on um, I had a couple of uh, photos that I took. In fact, uh, have you ever heard of a place called Tio Taco down in Riverside? Yeah, I think I have. Yeah, they do. Uh, if you anybody who goes down to Riverside and, you, and you're going to shoot shoot down there, there's a place called Tio Taco, and they have like a big sculpture garden, and they have a bunch of of these mm. crazy sculptures out in the um out in the front. Okay. That um, I don't know. I don't know who's behind it, but the guy's a freaking genius, right? Really? Yeah. So I um, I shot some of the stuff and it was great, but the sky was uh, cloudless, completely blue. So I was doing some experimentation with the uh, sky replacement, and I replaced it with some uh, um, sky that had a little more detail and a little more uh, cloud. And uh, man, it was really cool. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I know a lot of people badmouth sky replacement, but it, sometimes it can really make the make the photo. So. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, you yeah. know, sometimes I think, uh, you know, we, we discussed this a little bit previously in some of our, our text exchanges back and forth. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not opposed uh, when you're doing photography. Sometimes you just want to make a, a really badass, cool looking image. And, yeah. you know, some of that comes down to doing some of your editing just to make it pop and, and really visually compelling, which can almost tell a story in of itself because you're you're telling it through people's emotions as they view it. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about um, storytelling and and uh, within the visual medium, uh, I I don't usually uh, approach because I'm a still photographer, so I don't mm-hmm. usually approach the work with the idea of a story in mind. Now, I know a lot of people do, uh, but I generally will shoot a single image. Some people will shoot multiple images and uh, put them together as a collection. I'm guilty of that. Okay, uh, no. <laughs> 
that, no, that's a, that's a that's a legitimate approach because what you can do is um is uh, create almost a mini movie by um, that's exactly how I look at it. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, you can create almost a mini movie by uh, creating multiple um, uh, multiple still images and then putting to, putting them together, and you can also reorganize the the um, flow if you want to change the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. I don't generally do that. I usually shoot shoot single images and then I present those um, on their own. Um, I think that has a lot of creative merit to it as well. You know, you're just you're finding one, you know, snapshot in in this like flow of, of life and, and energy, and, and you're you're just zoning in just right on that, and just kind of like this micro focus. Um, I, I think it can it can really be interesting to just like pause everything else and, and there's no other distractions you're you're singularly focused on what this one thing is um and, and it can make for some you know interesting um expressions and in, in, in ways that people interpret it and and you know take it in so i uh i, I appreciate that approach as well yeah um people like uh ansel adams of course they would only shoot well uh, ansel adams i think he had a, a statement that he used to make that if you get uh 12 keepers in a year that's a pretty good haul but he was mm-hmm. also shooting a large format so mm-hmm. and so his uh his total output was probably a minuscule compared to what we're capable of doing these days even at 35 film uh mm-hmm. single uh four by five view cams you'll be lucky if you could get six shots in a day and that six shots in a day that would mean that um that you were seriously planning and they, that right. everything fell in line and you didn't have any major issues 35 millimeter you could blow that out in uh, five minutes and with with the uh the um canon alon eos that i have i could fire that off in about uh, in about um 20 seconds i could fire off <laughs> the 35 yeah I'll oh yeah in totally. about 35 yeah. Totally. yeah yeah so you could pick up a huge amount of uh, images and then organize them after however I think that it's probably better to um, uh, actually have an idea of what you're doing before you go out and shooting, shoot. Mm-hmm. And then um, instead of shooting a shitload of frames and then uh, coming back and deciding what you want to keep. Now, the difference, of course, between film and digital is is that I can uh, shoot uh, thousands and thousands of frames uh, on my on my digital mm-hmm. uh, compared, obviously, compared to a film camera. That's not that's simply not possible. Yeah. So you can – the problem is you can become overwhelmed by that. Yeah, so, you know. Eh. I, I totally um, not sympathize, but I, I understand where you're coming from on that. And, and I personally have kind of experienced a little bit of that, um, quote-unquote, fatigue uh, from when I've shot so many um, digital photos on, on my Sony camera. It's like, oh, man, now i got to, like, go look through all this and, and yeah. see what's worthwhile and, you know, what do I actually want to – you know, do some editing on and, and make, uh, you know, as, as a nice, nice little photo production, so to speak. So that's a little bit of, you know, even though I'm not in that world of film just yet, uh, one of the aspects that kind of appeals to me is, well, you don't have that luxury. Like you're forced into those constraints of, of being super intentional about what you capture because you don't have any other option. And, you know, therefore when you do take that photo, like you're really zoned in on it and, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're maybe putting more energy up front, but uh, I think it's also kind of nice that you save probably a lot of energy on the back end from not having to do all this sorting and combing and like, oh, is any of this stuff worthwhile or is it all just crap, you know? Yeah, a lot of film photographers say that same thing. They say, um, 
I would spend so much time in front of uh, my computer working the post mm-hmm. that it got a little eh, a little old. Yeah, but totally. Eh, eh, eh. One of the things, one of the reasons why um, I like to shoot film is simply because um, uh, it. When you artificially put constraints on yourself, you can redirect your energy uh, to uh, another end. When you have absolutely no problem with shooting a thousand frames, going Mm -hmm. back through post, finding what was right, ditching 90% of the rest of it, tweaking it, and then um, uh, exporting it out to whatever file format that you like, um, you are – much more likely to just start firing firing off when right. you have um like if you're shooting a medium format you may have between 12 and and even as as low as um, nine frames and that's it before you have to reload mm-hmm. and uh so you are less likely uh well you are more picky about what you're shooting so yeah and also uh we talked a little bit about um super eight and uh I asked you if you had ever shot uh, Super 8, and you're telling me now, but I had – um, now, well, there's a uh, a website uh, and a podcast, uh, Film Photography Podcast. Film Photography Project is the actual uh, organization, but they have a podcast. Oh, okay. Now, I'm check them out. And they talk about a lot, they talk about a lot of stuff, and they uh, one of the things they, they are trying to uh, uh, popularize right now is a – as a film format called um, straight eight or double eight, hmm. and what it yeah what it actually is is a is a uh, sixteen millimeter film and it's mm-hmm. loaded in such a way that you you record on on one half of the film strip which is usually about fifty feet of film. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Then when you're done, you flip the you open it up and you flip it over and then you record on the other side. Oh. And then when it gets uh, processed, they um, slit it down the middle uh, uh-huh. and then they uh, splice it, and then away you go. But we also know that you can only get about three minutes of film out of out of uh, any kind of that any kind of um, of uh, analog uh, movie film format. So mm-hmm. yeah, so is this straight eight? Of... Does does it extend that three minutes by? No, no it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. No, see that's the problem. That's the other problem. Also, right in the middle of it, you have you you exposed it. All right. Well, obviously, when you opened it, you right. exposed the end of it. So yeah. the uh, the spools are designed in a way to minimize exposure, but you still kind of got to be quick. Mm. So when you flip it uh, right in the middle, unless your uh, unless your uh, lab is really good at what they're doing, right in the middle will be a uh, a white flash where this splice has been made. Huh. So people complain about that, but it, it, it's it's severely analog. So if you're looking for that vibe. Uh, that's what people are, are doing right now. And also, um, they're doing a um, uh, Kodak is still releasing a lot of Super 8, and um, including Tri-X Super 8, which is uh, ex- an extremely um, contrasty black and white mm. uh, that a lot of street photographers really like as far as the still photography goes. Mm. There was – okay, this is sort of off the subject, but I just wanted to tell you about this because it, it might be interesting to you. Yeah, go ahead. Um Many, many years ago – well, okay, there was a, a uh, an essayist named uh, Susan Sontag that wrote a, a, a series of essays called um, – well, when she put the collection together, it was called On Photography. Now, of course, this is considerably old, so this is all about film and and, uh, and stuff. But, mm-hmm. but a lot of uh, – as we know, uh, uh, photography in general, uh, the rules are um, uh, interchangeable between mediums, so it really doesn't matter. But 
there was a she mentioned a movie called uh, Peeping Tom, <laughs> <laughs> Peeping Tom, and I she, the way she described it was was pretty interesting. But what it turns out, it, this was back in the seventies, I guess, because I watched part of it. And uh, what it was about was this uh, this guy who was a um, uh, film. Uh, well, he was he used a four by five view cam, but his primary medium was um, 16 millimeter film. Mm. And what he was doing was well, he's a serial killer. And what he was oh. doing, yeah, what he was doing was he had a he had his um, camera on a tripod, and what nobody knew was in the front leg of his tripod was an ice pick. So he was, <laughs> um, yeah. So what he was doing was he was getting these women uh, to pose, right? Like they're just gonna shoot some film. Uh-huh. But then he pulls off the cap, and then he, as he starts approaching them, they realize it's it's it for them. Wow. <laughs> and but what he wanted was that look of fear. So that mm. was an interesting. Oh, interesting. Movie. Well, he was abused as a kid because his father was a um a psychologist and had uh, and was into film and he tried to um tried to um uh, uh, record uh the kid's entire life and so this kid was seriously demented. Oh man. <laughs> and hey, you, um, you could take some parallels from that uh that era and in that situation to uh you know even kind of that the advent of people recording and publishing, you know, the whole entirety of, of their lives on social media nowadays. Kind of a uh, yeah, it's funny interesting topic right there, yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because I was just watching a, a show on YouTube and they were they were parale- paralleling that to um, uh, similar situations. What they were saying was is that people on YouTube that are well, I always thought that it was odd when Facebook first came out. I always people were talking about the most inane things that they were doing. <laughs> And I go, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, we don't really care what you ate for breakfast. We don't care. And it we don't mean, care that you went and spent, you know, two hours on the toilet afterwards because of what you ate on the. You yeah, know, we, yeah, yeah, we don't so. care about your freaking <laughs> any of that. Yeah, yeah, we don't care about that. And but you're telling us this. I actually had this one girl. Uh, this was funny. Uh, she hates me, <laughs> and uh, I, I I don't really don't know why. But um, many years ago, when I was uh, playing a lot of harmonica, I was playing in a in a um, in a um, a lot of jams, and I met up with this girl. She was about 16 at the time, and uh, she was just learning how to play guitar. She was cool. She was she was an interesting girl. But but mm-hmm. the key here is that she was 16 and she was in high school. So. One day I'm now mind you she's on Facebook right and I'm I'm uh I'm just sitting at at the, the Del Taco eating freaking lunch because I'm on a break from work and she starts posting these stuffs uh, these these posts about her 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 uh, her adventures in masturbation. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, and I'm that's like, a, okay. that's a little bit too much information there, honey. Yeah, I know, and I'm like, especially considering you're 16 and you're in high school. Yeah, yeah, uh, especially that. Yeah, yeah. I responded with, I responded. I said, "Hey, sweetheart, I go. You might want to be careful what you're talking about because you're gonna when when you go into into school on Monday, you're gonna be the most popular girl there." (laughs) I still, yeah, I still don't think she figured out what the hell I was talking about. But Uh, yeah, but um, sweet naivete. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. When you're 16, you don't realize anything. You don't realize what's going on. Yeah, young and dumb. Yeah. But um, I'm still pretty dumb, but I feel like I, I I've I've gotten a little bit more perspective on a few things. But uh, yeah, oh yeah, well I've over my many years I've learned a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, hey, so, yeah, you. Uh, That's what it's all about, right? Yeah, well if you if you live long enough you get good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, 
yeah, speaking of that, um, of that, um, of the Facebook situation and the whole thing about um, people documenting their lives um, when nobody really gives a crap. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that that I w- I've been questioning lately is how people are actually making a living on Instagram and what in in what in actuality is an Instagram influencer. I, I it, what it sounds to me now. I, of course, I have a pretty good idea because I'm fairly tech savvy. Even you know, though I'm not in that in that generation. I'm a consider mm-hmm. I'm a yeah. generation X. Yeah. So yeah. So we are FM radio, and we are. But you know, I was able to. That's another thing. Older people uh, who uh, who are not in the in, okay. Okay. Social media pretty much started to take uh, take effect early on in um, the. Um, uh, 2000s. Now I yeah. remember um, uh, MySpace, and there were a lot of other lesser uh, uh, effective uh, uh, social media platforms. And MySpace died out, and Facebook took over. Yep. And so people who were hitting their adulthood or uh, late uh, uh, adolescence around that time uh, embraced that technology, and that wasn't a problem. Older people who were already adults at that time probably didn't. Although I was able to to adapt fairly mm-hmm. easily and a lot of people were but some people were not right so there's there people one of the things that people have been asking me is how one what is a is a how do you actually make a living as a as a um as an instagram influencer and one and two what the hell is that even about so what do you, what is your take on that? What do you think of, what do you think uh uh how what do you think about people making a living just documenting their life on Instagram? Yeah. Well, um I can speak to this a little bit not from like first-hand experience from, you know, my own um my own uh placements and and presence on Instagram, but I, I know a few people and and uh, I I follow a few people. I think it more or less boils down to if you're an individual that either has uh, an engaging personality, um, you know, if you're on Instagram or YouTube or you're, you know, you do something interesting or you're just entertaining or, you know, let's just cut to the chase. You know, you're freaking hot and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, just a very attractive looking person, uh, especially on Instagram. That's that's where um, that last factor really comes in. Um, you know, you will, if you post stuff, uh, you will gain a following, um, especially, you know, if you're a very attractive woman, um, you know, you don't have to do too much, just, uh, just post some, some bikini photos and whatever. And, uh, yeah, all the, uh, all the teenage boys will start following you. Um, and so then, you know, once you build up that following, uh, of, you know, hundred thousand people, hundreds of thousands, millions, even who knows, um, I mean, companies look at that and they see like, hey, you've got this huge, um, you know, influence. There's that word um, where, you know, you post stuff and you get all this engagement from these people that are following you. Um, that's worth something to us because that's potential uh, market uh, customers that might buy our products. Uh, if we think that the people who are following you have, you know, a possible uh, overlap with what we're selling, Um you know, hell yeah, we'll, we'll give you money to plug our products and, um, you know, talk about it, put it on your post, say it on your story. Um, and, you know, as long as we, we get sales out of it, um, yeah, we'll continue to do this little marketing campaign essentially. So, I mean, it's it's really, it's just kind of like the, the new advent of what 
TV and television used to be is like, well, where are the eyeballs at? And there the money follows. Yeah. Yeah. One of the um, uh, parallels that 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 um, that YouTube video was was um, citing was the Kardashians and how they were mm-hmm. able to basically parlay um, just looks and um a seriously dysfunctional family into um, a uh, marketing and business empire. Now, yeah, uh, and in social media, I mean, uh, if we're being honest, sometimes the more dysfunctional the situation or or the uh, the group or you know the family or whatever, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad to say, but the more drama, the more outrageous, uh, the more we want to watch it because you know I guess it's in our nature we like to watch dumpster fires. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was dating this girl uh, maybe 10 years ago, and she, at the time, uh, Survivor and um, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, Fear Factor, and oh, yeah. a lot of a lot of those really bizarre shows were uh, surreal life. It just mm-hmm. uh, all those bizarre shows were on, and they were um, it was basically you were getting entertainment by watching other people suffer. And I'm like, man, this is very strange. She was digging, and needless to say, that relationship didn't last too long because <laughs> she was freaking bizarre. But yeah. yeah, one day I was over her house and we were watching the TV, and I was watching um, I think it was Fear Factor or something. She would watch reality television just uh, endlessly, and I and I I just couldn't get behind it because like to me. Hell. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's an issue. But um, one of the problems uh, was that um, she just liked to watch people, I guess, be um, humiliated and and disrespected and mistreated. And I'm like, ah, this is really ridiculous. Yeah. But I can't. No, I'll watch something else, you know. Uh, Yeah. I've got enough drama in my own life, you know. I don't don't need to add yours the kardashian family or whatever influencers onto it you know oh i'll take care of my business you can take care of yours thank you very much yeah i don't need any i don't need any help in that respect yeah. <laughs> I'm, doing, exactly. I'm doing fine with that so yep yeah yeah <laughs> yeah all right so um austin you tell me that you're a filmmaker and um that's a large a swath of um of um material there so yes, how do you tell me what you mean by being a filmmaker i am for the most part a commercial filmmaker um i came into that uh sector if you will of the other uh, business because that's what my mentor started off with uh the first guy i met when i moved to ukaipa that's what he he was doing and so i just thought well if that's what he's doing you know uh, that will follow suit seems to work well for him um and unknowingly that's also the uh, the part of the business that's i think best if you're starting off um to actually like make a little money and turn a little profit uh, on what you're doing um because you know if you're starting off and you're wanting to like you know okay hey i've got this like short film that i want to make that's cool that's awesome you're going to learn a lot but it's super duper hard to actually like get any money out of it and you know kind of start to self-fund it so um you know, I just I got lucky that I, I had an interest in, in kind of this commercial side of things. And, and I'm a little bit more entrepreneurial minded anyway, so it just kind of worked out for me. But, um, yeah, my, my very first um, uh, professional project was for a, uh, uh, a laser tag arena uh, here in the Inland Empire. And uh, that was great because I, I got to, you know, kind of do a, a commercial for them and, you know, hopefully help out their business with uh, their marketing. 
But but even within that sphere, I like to be a little bit more narrative with it and, you know, again, tell a story. Um, so the, the, the little project I did for them was kind of telling a story of like a family, you know, they're they're like, you know, the mother is this kind of uh, career lady. She's in this conference room, but her family's at the um, at the uh, the laser tag arena and they're they're not winning. You know, they're losing and they need her to get over there. And so, you know, she kind of um, takes the reins and, and gets herself out of the meeting and then she gets over there and, and then, you know, then they start winning. So it's, you know, it's not a hmm. complicated story, but it's like a little bit of a story, you know, something that people couldn't like, you know, follow along with or identify with. So that was my very first project I did uh, in a professional capacity. Uh, and from there, you know, I just continued on. Um, I've been blessed uh, to have some some family that have businesses that also needed um, commercial photography and video. So, you know, I've, I've helped them a lot with that. Um, that was about two years ago when I first started in uh, in a professional capacity. Um, but coming up on this kind of second half of this uh, second year, um, I've kind of started to expand a little bit more into the narrative side of things. Um, not super heavy just yet, but, um, you know, I've just been at it long enough that I've, I've kind of made a few connections and, you know, my, my network's getting a little bit more established. Um, and my, you know, abilities are, are just far more honed and capable now. Um, so I can, you know, be more creative with what I have and, uh, and really, you know, do some some unique things on my own and, and also do some, you know, creative and unique things for other people as well that, you know, is not just business, sales, marketing orientated. Okay. So you're primarily shooting uh, uh, commercials? Commercials, um, you know, corporate educational videos, okay. um, you know, web advertising and that kind of deal. But um, but I, I started to expand a little bit into the uh, the music video uh, sector a little bit this year, which was fun. I really like that because my background is also in music as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of appreciate that uh, that side of things. And, and um, I, that's actually one of the things that I um, want to kind of one of my sticking points or, or things that I advocate in in how I conduct my business and, and when I am putting a project together is that it's the um, the audio side is really just as important as the video and and sometimes uh, even more so and you know a major part of that audio uh, side of things is like you know the music that you select or the music that you're editing to and really digging into that deeply and really you know kind of being one with that in, in in your spirit as you're you're getting into the heart of the project and and really having that be like your your central anchor that everything else is is kind of coming around and and that's not always the the exact approach that you use for every project but it's it's kind of my starting point because uh, I think it, it really gives a dynamicism to the project and and really makes it uh, engaging because you're not ignoring, you know, one of the uh, the mediums that you're using, which is, you know, the the audio side. You know, you have you always have the visuals, but you know, don't forget about that that other half. Yeah, uh, here in Hammett, we have a lot of uh, a lot of bands, mostly uh, punk style, because uh, there's this place is fairly uh, economically disadvantaged, mm. so um, that economics tends to dictate the style of music that you play mm-hmm. generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have a lot of punk and a lot of uh, hard rock and a lot of um, um, uh, hardcore, uh, hardcore and um, um, some hardcore rap stuff that we're, that they're doing nice. out here. And a yeah. lot of it is cool. 
yeah, a lot of it is because obviously they don't they they don't have the disposable income for um, some very expensive uh, equipment that that, that can uh, really set you back. Yeah. So, but one of the things that I've noticed that they uh, they seriously lack in is their marketing skills. Mm. They um um like photography for them is almost non-existent and and i'm like okay you guys you guys are seriously um um hurting yourself because the yeah sure as a musician um the auto the audio end of the spectrum is is your number one priority it has to be because that's what your medium is exactly but we know that uh, since the 60s and 70s that um, image and look is, is, is almost as important because yeah. it, it actually – a lot of musicians don't realize this, but a lot – but your, your um, visual representation will actually tell people what kind of music that you're playing mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. So and and so they will get an idea of what they're in for as soon as they take a look at you. So your your photography, your images, your uh, marketing material are as important as the music that you're putting out because if people don't want to come see you uh, by the way you look, they're not even going to listen to your to your music. They're not going to listen to your material. That's why when you're in a certain uh, genre, almost everybody looks very similar and they dress very similar. And that is the reason why, because they're pushing out an image that basically sends a message. As to, well, it's not I don't want to say it's uh, subliminal, but for all intent purposes, it's a, it's a subliminal message that's telling you what you're in store for if you go see them out of venue. I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. I think sometimes, though, you you do get individuals that intentionally disrupt the uh, the pattern of the image um you know genre look so to speak for whatever they're in um intentionally to kind of shake it up a little bit and like whoa you know this they normally don't do that but uh you know here here they are kind of standing out a little bit from uh their crowd but uh but you know again that's intentional because it's meant to be attention grabbing and Mm. uh and also you know serves their their marketing and, and their spiel and and you know maybe that's because they, uh, you know, they think their music is, you know, a different take on on that genre or, or a fusion of different things, and so they they want to reflect that with uh, the way they look. Yeah, I agree with that. The the well, there was a handful. Like uh, we can look at uh, Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick or um, uh, Angus Young from um, um, uh, ACDC, or we can even look at um, Ian Asbury from The Cult, where they changed their style. Um, the clothes that they wore did not fit in with the band that they were in. We know that um, Rick Nielsen and um, um, Malcolm Young, uh, oh, not Malcolm Young, Angus Young used to wear, um, the, you know, they looked like, uh, like uh, they were wearing like uh, uniforms. Mm. And then we know Ian Asbury dressed like um he looked a lot like Johnny Cash, even though he was singing a lot of um, – uh, well, technically, they were a goth band, technically. Uh, and uh, stylistically, they were uh, doing a lot of hard rock. But you could see that they had a serious uh, uh, country rock vibe that they were trying to push, and you could see it visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of bands is that um, – they are simply um, foregoing um, 
professional photography for smartphone photography and they're using they're allowed you know like their uh their girlfriend or their brother or whoever will be snapping pictures with the cell phone and posting it on facebook and the the difference is is that that material gets onto the web extremely fast in fact yeah. it can go directly yeah see that's the that's the uh, advantage of uh, the current um, yeah, yeah. Because you can get – if you have a web presence on Instagram or Facebook, you can update it almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And now it won't be the greatest uh, the greatest images that you could possibly produce. But they're current, and they are um, pretty decent, and they are immediate. So, yeah. 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 And, you know, for, to some extent for what their needs are, you know, getting that tippy-top, um, you know, extra 20% um, – you know, so to speak on, on the, the visual quality, um, you know, maybe isn't, uh, in every context needed or necessary for what they're doing. Um, you know, it, like you were saying, it's more the the speed of implementation, getting it out there and, and having that kind of constant, uh, connection with, uh, their following and their fans, uh, to, to have that relationship. That's, that's the more important thing, mm. which the, the cell phones, um, you know, offer that in spades and buckets, man. Like, you know, they're, yeah. they're perfect for that. And, and, yeah. and if I'm actually, if I'm being honest, I'm going to, I'm going to just take this on a quick little tangent here. I mean, if you give, if you give these iPhone cameras or smartphone cameras, the, the good lighting that they, you know, like, um, and, and you know how to maybe do just a little bit of tweaking, um, even on the phone after the fact, like you can make them really pop. Um, and, and that even goes for video too. Um, you know, you can get an app. One I use for my iPhone quite often uh, is called Filmic Pro, mm-hmm. and uh, that thing's amazing, man. I've mm-hmm. I've actually used my iPhone on uh, a couple professional productions, because yeah. um, I mean, hey, it's it shoots 4K. Uh, now it's not a full frame sensor like my uh, my Sony Alpha, but you know it's still 4K, and uh, you know it's it's got some some good pop to it, and you know I can throw it in the mix and. Um, if I wanted to, I can even get the, um, you know, the, the prosumer or not the prosumer, but the, uh, uh, the pro package upgrade, which allows me to film and log. And so I can even, you know, color grade it into everything else and, and make it match really easily. So, I mean, if you, if you give them the conditions they want, like they're kick-ass cameras, man. Yeah. I'm using, um, iPhone 12 right now and I'm nice. using, uh, yeah, I'm Ooh, using... recent upgrade, huh? Yeah. Oh, well, cause this is the first iPhone that I've ever had. Oh, uh, so, it. uh, yeah, so I'm using that and I'm using, um, Filmic Pro and I'm using, uh, camera two plus, mm-hmm. uh, and what I was looking at for a while was, um, the Filmic, uh, first light. Uh, yeah. But... I just got that the other day. Oh yeah. How's that? How's that working out? You know, um, initially I was maybe just slightly underwhelmed at what it was, um, equipped with but as i was starting to play around with it a little bit more i'm like okay you know i, I kind of see what what's going on here like there's, there's some good stuff and and if i'm being honest i i'm not sure if my review on an older iphone um gives it due justice so to speak because i i know these newer models have more capabilities and more features so there there may be some things that i'm not even getting access to that um that are there but um but you know it's nice to manually dial in uh, you know, your shutter speed and your ISO, um, I would still kill um, to have the ability to, to you know, um, set my aperture as well. 
But, uh, you know, I, I guess we can dream, Mike. But, yeah. you know, maybe one day here. Um, Apple, if you're listening, do it. Allow us to adjust the aperture, man. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think actually for the cost of it, you know, not too bad. Um, and uh, I, I wish they would actually allow – this is just a, a minor gripe, but that they would keep the photos I took in that app, um, give us the option to keep them maybe in a separate library um from like just our, our normal our normal uh photos um album roll or reel or whatever they call it on on our phones but um that's just a personal preference thing mm. but, uh, yeah. but yeah i i i think i'll be using it a little bit yeah i use it i use it i use it for a while i was doing a lot of uh, iphone photography and uh i was doing a lot of heavy processing <clears throat> I was using Snapseed at the time now I'm using um Lightroom I think yeah I'm using Lightroom now mm-hmm. uh one of the things that that I thought was kind of cool was the um well one of the things that confused me a little bit was the fact that um when I was using um camera plus two or camera two plus uh it gave me um a raw file up the raw file option but mm-hmm. in the regular the native app it doesn't allow that so and i thought that yeah. was very strange yeah and then the other thing okay oh, i'm sorry i'm okay oh, hold on i'm using an 11 not a 12 i'm using oh, okay okay one of the things that i thought was kind of strange was the fact that on camera 2 plus when i it it would take when i would take an image i would um have to um save it to the camera roll which I thought was kind of weird. That it was as if the the image was being held in a buffer. Uh, it was a permanent buffer, so it wasn't you know uh, it wasn't a volatile buffer buffer. But mm-hmm. uh, I would have to either directly um, save it to the camera roll, or I would edit it in uh, camera two, and then uh, and then when I saved it, I had to send it to the camera roll. Otherwise, most of my other apps didn't have access to it, which kind of pissed me off. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, it would be it'd be cool if I could simply. Um, uh, share directly from camera two, but uh, eh, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, one of the, I think there's, you, you it, could have like benefits for and benefits against to have things directly safe, but, uh, it's, I think it really boils down to preference and, and how you use your phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I firmly agree. There was, uh, uh, me and sticky were having a conversation way back. We were talking about how, the phone, how phones are becoming so technologically advanced these days that at some point they may replace um, cameras in general. I mean, obviously there's going to be specialized uh, applications. People are going to be making, you know, people that are making high-end film or that are doing high-end photography or studio photography or mm-hmm. medium format are not going to be using a cell phone. But in general, uh, I do know that the um, the um, sales numbers for um DSLRs, well, DSLRs specifically because uh, they're moving into mirrorless, and also yep. the sales numbers for mirrorless are started are are have declined over the last couple of years, and a lot of people are thinking mm-hmm. that it has to do with the fact that the latest uh, phones are becoming so technologically uh, advanced that it, it, you can do almost anything you want on your phone. Plus, you have uh, you have a miniature computer. Plus, you have your um, uh, media device, whatever that happens to be. If you're making videos or making um, mm-hmm. still photos, plus your you have um, all your um, uh, social media connections. So, so everything is. Um, is in one device instead of having a camera having to transfer that to your phone or um, uploading it onto your computer, right. editing it, and then sharing it. I can do it in one device. 
Yeah, I mean, from a convenience standpoint, it, it definitely um, has a very strong appeal from that. Um, you know, with that convenience, though, there are some compromises. Um, and for most people, they probably won't notice or care. But if you're trying to do it in professional uh, capacity, you'll be able to see it possibly lose uh, a bit of control over what you're trying to do with your creative vision and your mind's eye um, when you're working on a project. So, Again, it kind of depends on, you know, what you're trying to do and, and what your your goals are. Like, is it just about speed of implementation, you know, taking taking it, capturing it, getting it out there as soon as possible? Or are you a little bit more like me? Do you want to, you know, take your time, really capture exactly what you want, kind of massage that that vision in, into and, and really form it into what you're what you see in your mind and, and you know, and then. Uh, and only then, you know, does it actually get put out there. So, yeah, there was a handful of um, filmmakers that were making full-length films and also shorts on iPhones, and yeah. I think they were mostly doing it as a proof of concept because they were starting way back at uh, iPhone 5s, which yes. is a long way back. Yeah, I mean, it can't be done, um, and it's not to say that it can't be done well. One of those films was, uh, I believe, a movie called Tangerine, and I know, I think that one actually won the Sundance Film Festival, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. Um, or, or maybe didn't actually win like the full festival, like, but won something there, uh, if I remember. It's always kind of the debate of like, okay, well, how, how does your, is it the tools or is it, you know, the the person who uses the tools? And I, I think it's kind of the the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle of. Uh, the tools will definitely equip you uh, if you so choose to, you know, implement your vision and, um, you know, make it easier on you. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you have those skills and abilities, you can make do with uh, with a lot of stuff and, and really, you know, conform it to your your will and your vision and make it work for you. So it's it's a useful thing, but, you know, you're not limited to it. You know, oh, I, I have to have uh, a cinema camera to make a movie otherwise you know i can't make it no you know no you could you yeah. could do it with an iphone because people have mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that people should not uh, be putting um equipment in front of their uh their vision and their output uh there was a movie called the editor which was by carol nong <laughs> <laughs> i'm assuming he's current uh yeah apparently he shot it on an iphone 4 uh-huh. And, and and this was stripped down because um, the synopsis is saying um, that uh, apparently in Tangerine and, and and comma and an easy lies to mind the the um, uh, Chris Nong used um, I guess he used um, additional lenses or something mm, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but in the yeah. editor apparently he used uh, nothing. Apparently it was straight out of straight out of his phone. Really? So like, All right, cool, man. That's mm. cool. If you can pull it uh, off, that's impressive. Yeah. They honestly did that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen any of it, but I should probably check it out. But um, yeah, I um, oh yeah, oh 4s. Holy crap! Some guy made oh, a movie with a, in a 4s. Wow. Shot entirely with an iPhone 4s. Oh, it was a three yeah. minute short. Okay, well. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, three minutes. Yeah, but you know, you know, it probably took him freaking two days to do it. Sure. And yeah. and when he stripped it all down, he ended up with three minutes of uh, footage. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like you know, hey, 
they take two years to make a two-hour movie, man. But you know, yeah. there's a lot that goes into those two hours. Yeah, yeah it's and, a lot, yeah. a lot but of editing. By the same of... token, yeah, two days yeah. to make a little two-minute thing, like it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's not a stretch. Like it, it, you know, if you're really trying to be careful about it and you know tell your story and and capture it the way you want it, like oh yeah, it will definitely take time. When we were talking about Super 8, uh, I was talking to another guy about uh, shooting Super 8, and we were saying that um, shooting shorts is that's doable. But if you tried to shoot anything longer than about 15 minutes, it would get seriously out of hand when you have mm. roll and roll of Super 8, and it plus it costs a shitload of money. Oh, but sure. um, yeah, so uh, I would I would uh, think that people who are making videos on their iPhone should probably be sticking to the 15 minute. Um, uh, limit uh, you can do whatever you want but yeah. um keeping it short and sweet though is is honestly um and, and actually I, I think if you kind of set for yourself hey we're, we're gonna keep it um as short as possible you know five minutes or shorter like like we were saying before you know putting some constraints on on what you're allowed to do kind of kind of um takes your creative uh, creativity um off the leash, but almost kind of unleash as well. But it, it kind of forces you to truly get creative and, and figure out, okay, within these constraints, what can I do and, and how can I maximize that and and really come up with some, you know, really cool problem solving and and you know like really dial in what I'm what I'm trying to do here. So mm-hmm. um, I I had an interesting um, interaction with an uh, acquaintance of mine who is uh, in film school somewhere. And uh, she was posting on her story like, oh, you know, we got to like have this 10, 15 minute. I, I think it was like 15 minute long short film. And I'm I'm like reading this or, or listening to her talk about it because she was going to have to go out and film more stuff. And, and I'm like, oh, man, that that seems like way too long of a video for, you know, a film student to try to be making or, or short film for a student to be making. It's like. You know, it, it's really going to be tough to make that actually good to have that narrative stretched out over that period, you know, with them writing it. It's it's not a knock on them, but it's like that's, you know, it, it takes a serious amount of ability and practice to, to have that long of a compelling story and, and film it and, you know, have it actually be interesting. Um, not to say that it's not going to be a learning process for him, but I feel like something shorter and more contained might be actually more constructive and, you know, might result in something that's uh possibly a little bit more eligible for maybe they're they're real you know when they're trying to go out and like build up their portfolio and stuff so anyway that's just my my tangent on it yeah yeah i was watching a um over on that that website i was talking about a film photography project they had a uh or on their youtube channel they had some uh some guests on that were making uh short films with uh that film we were talking about a uh, straight eight well, is straight eight is also referred to as regular eight or double eight. So if anybody mm, okay. hears that, that's that's it's the same thing. But anyway, uh, he made he made this uh, one of their guests had made this film that was called The Cabin in the Woods, and so you knew it was gonna be a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It, yeah, but it was so stripped down, I was pretty impressed because what he had done was he had had two worlds. One was a uh, color, one was some black and white, and so everything that he was shooting from the um, potential victims perspective was all yeah. color and the music was all nice and everything was Perfect. well there was, he had added in uh, external um uh sound effects and music so of, of course yeah yeah well yeah well because it gets uh, silent films can be pretty boring uh, if if there isn't something going on so the other part the so then he used the black and white as the uh viewpoint of the of the potential uh perpetrator 
So anyway, to make a long story short, at the end, in the beginning, there was a lot of uh, suspense and a lot of this girl looking around going, what's what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> you know? And so she ends up. Um, so he rushes at her with the camera using the black and white film. So you are getting the message that this perpetrator is about to attack the victim. Mm-hmm. Then the next thing you see, they cut away to a, a, a wide shot of the front of the cabinet, and then they just slam the door. And I go, oh, shit. I go, this mm-hmm. film, yeah, this film was probably three minutes long, but he had abstracted it to the bare bones. And I, and I was watching, I was going, dude, you, you have no idea what you just did. You abstracted an entire horror movie down to three, four scenes. Well, it was probably more than that. It's probably maybe about. It was under ten scenes. Mm. You abstracted an entire horror movie down to under ten scenes, and without losing what it was. If I was to watch that movie without any idea what the title was, I would have had a pretty good idea what the what the right. yeah. yeah what the story was. Mm-hmm. And he had done this. So well, this guy was a, this guy was a was was a was a serious filmmaker. So he knew his shit. But mm-hmm. but in watching it, I go, I thought, God, people need to seriously take a lesson from this guy. <laughs> yeah. He knows, he, he, this guy knows his shit. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's it always boils down to, you know, just these fundamentals at, at the bottom level. Uh, and then, you know, from there on up, you just you, you can add more complexity, more twists and turns, you know, mm-hmm. different acts and structures. But in, in the end, it always just comes down to the setup tension or you know, whatever situation that is uh, engaging and, and uh, interesting to the, the viewers and resolution or non non resolution, I guess, in the case of a horror movie where, you know, the mm. the person gets killed in the end or whatever. But uh, yeah. you know, I, I guess that's resolution in its own way, but yeah. not the kind of resolution they were looking for. <laughs> yeah, they weren't signed up for that. Yeah, yeah. You were talking about um, you had something going on in Riverside today. Why don't you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, later on today, I'm going to go to Riverside, uh, downtown area near uh, the Mission Inn. A uh, buddy of mine's uh, has kind of started this photography uh, meetup group for uh, the Inland Empire, uh, free and open to uh, – you know anyone who's interested, uh, whatever their skill level, and uh, it's it's just kind of a, a once monthly type deal uh, where people with like-minded, you know, creative dispositions can get together and, and practice their arts and you know just get in there and, and have fun using their camera and, and create some cool stuff and and you know just kind of get to you know fellowship with some some people that are you know kind of of the, the same opinion of you and and just you know have a good time. Okay, cool. Uh, are you doing that over by? Um, yeah, because I've, sh- I've shot there a couple times. Are you you doing that uh, over by, uh, like the uh, Civic Center? Is that where you're gonna be at, or you're gonna be at like the, down that mall in front of the Mission? Or uh, that 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 long uh, there's that like long courtyard in front of the Mission, in front of the front side of the Mission. Is that where you're gonna be at? Yeah, I um I know that I think we're gonna be starting right around the mission in, but as these events have typically gone, you know, people kind of wander and you know they get in their little bit of their own grooves and and you know so we kind of spread out a little bit and and you know some some people will kind of pair up and you know go off this way and some other people will pair up and go off that way and and so we'll we'll probably be all over downtown by the time it's all over, but uh, but it's a great time and okay, that's uh, cool. it's fun. Um, I I can't take as much credit for for starting it it's really more of my friend um wyatt uh he, he's a photographer as well real estate 
agent and uh, kind of his own uh, entrepreneur in his own way, um, which I, I have a lot of respect for for his his hustle and and uh, kind of his passion for his art as well. Mm. But uh, but you know I try to help in in what ways I can. You know we were trying to get a, a location in Redlands for our um, our Halloween one. We we weren't able to secure it, but you know I try to help out with that and. And then, um, but I did kind of make up for it. Uh, we were doing one for the Halloween, uh, where we went up to uh, Wildwood Canyon State Park. So I actually brought along some of my some LED tube lights, uh, for you know to let us practice doing some some cool stylized low light photography and and you know give everyone a fun opportunity to kind of use something that uh, you know you may not normally have a, an opportunity to, to play around with. So it, it's fun, and you know I, I try to you know help and, and uh, contribute to it in, in what ways I can. Okay. What are your, uh, what are your numbers like? I mean, what, what's your turnout? Well, I think the most we have had has been, um, actually, I, I don't know the exact number, but I want to say like maybe a dozen and a half at uh, one oh. of the, the more big ones. Um, uh, that was English grammar, uh, more big. And more big. Um, Mo, yeah, more big, more big, Mobetta, exactly. Um, but it's it seems to be usually around a dozen, and um, you know, give or take a few, and and uh, you know, some pe- there's kind of some some regulars that show up, and then you know, some people will will come, and then you know, don't see them for a month, and then they they come again. So uh, you kind of get some different uh, cycles and groups that are in there, but uh, but it's a great time, you know, you kind of get to to meet all these different folks, and you know, it's a little bit of kind of networking in the same way, and you know, y'all just kind of get to to share uh, what you're doing. And, and, you know, after the fact, we kind of have a, a group chat um, um, on, on a certain app and, and, uh, you know, so we get to all share our photos and, and we, we get to have, you know, kind of our, our little like, you know, showing off, show and tell, so to speak. Um, not so much for like creative criticism, um, like uh, we were talking about earlier, but, um, you know, just having fun, kind of the camaraderie side of things, which I think is really important because sometimes I, I feel in the, the whole photography and, and video field you can kind of get a little bit um overly competitive and not so much on the uh, collaboration side of things but i think the uh, the 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 friendly collaborative side of it is important as well mm, yeah okay all right austin we talked about a lot of stuff today we talked about super eight we talked about instagram we talked about the kardashians we talked about camaraderie yeah 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 we'll edit that one we'll talk about camaraderie <laughs> camaraderie uh, we'll just edit that right out we Mo talked about uh, <laughs> iphone yeah I, I tell you what yeah 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 put me on a uh, put me on a on a podcast and see what you get <laughs> um so we talked about a lot of stuff today so sure um why don't you tell me what your um uh your um social medias are and then we'll uh, finish up yeah, um, my website is uh, um, zipric.com, www.zipric.com, and uh, that's kind of my my hub for the time being where I, I have everything all tying into. Um, I have a number of my projects that I've, I've worked on put there, um, but my, uh, my social medias are usually um, – you, uh, just based around my name since it's pretty unique. Um, my Instagram is just Austin Ziprick and uh, I don't post to it probably as often as I should, but uh, I do have plans to uh, kind of uh, fix that problem in the future. Uh, same thing with uh, Facebook and YouTube. Um, I do probably 
of all the social medias post most often or post uh, the most interesting content to uh, my YouTube channel, which is also Austin Zibrick. And then uh, I do kind of have my, my studio pages, but those are more just because I want to claim them, not that I, I want to post a lot of stuff to them as well, but they're out there. But mm-hmm. the, the website is where all that stuff is, is kind of tied into and, and links to all those things. Okay, yeah, I'm checking out your website, and I noticed, are you doing the, are you doing zone work? I mean, the drone work? <laughs> are you doing drone work? I do a little bit of drone work, yes. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, which one, which one are you using, by the way? I use a DJI Mavic 2 Zoom. Mavic 2, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're so amazing, like, how user-friendly they are nowadays, um, because, you know, I, I've, I've had a few close shaves with that, um, <laughs> and nine times out of ten uh you know their their off school avoidance collision software and their sensors has saved my bacon um mm. you know only only once when i actually had to turn that system off because i was doing this uh very close quarters flying through kind of an, an underground tunnel um did i <laughs> i accidentally <sighs> yanked the drone straight into a metal pylon off the left and it subsequently almost broke my heart but mm. but unfortunately i i while i may have broken my heart i did not break the drone so uh you oh, know okay. things have mended and uh you yeah. know we're we're stronger and better for it but yeah, uh, right, cool. yeah it was a um uh i'm not um really up on uh drone technology but there was uh there's a podcast called tips from the top floor and <laughs> i like it, it. it okay yeah yeah that guy's that guy's serious so uh he was talking about drones and i think the mavic air came out and he was yeah, talking mavic about air too it's yeah really mavic air drone. too yeah he was talking about it. he was talking about um he lost he said he lost one over the north sea god i guess no. he's in england yeah he said he sent oh, it out no. over, yeah it was ridiculous he said he sent it out over the north sea and he said that um his uh, app was telling him that he had a certain amount of um, range left, so he uh-huh. uh, turned it around to bring it back. But the problem uh-huh. was is the, the offshore flow had um, um, started to drain the power out of his battery, so he was like in a lot of trouble. So he had to, he said, I dropped uh-huh. it down as close to the uh-huh. ocean as I could, and it, it still didn't quite make it back. Oh, man. <laughs> I fell for the guy, man. But... Oh, man. Well, I fortunately, I, I have not had to experience that just yet but um i have had a a couple instances where um kind of on a fault of my own i i had to go do something with my drone film this one um this one property up in washington and um i did not have my batteries fully charged and it was just kind of a situation where I, i probably wouldn't be able to get back to it um before you know I, I had to leave the area and so i'm like oh man okay i've only got like one battery at a half charge which is basically like 15 minutes of flying but you know what the hell let's go let's go and see if we can pull it off and so i uh i i, w- I went there and and you know got it up there i i used my one other like mostly drain battery to like dial in all my my exposure settings uh so i, I did try to optimize it as much as i could and then I, I slapped in that 150% battery, and away I went. And it was basically like boom, 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 boom. Um, but it was a really good experience, actually, because uh, I, I did pull it off in the end. I got enough footage to, to make my edit. Um, but it was kind of it was kind of like shooting on film, man, because um, I'm like, okay, I've only got so much time up there. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pre-plan my shots and, you know, figure out my path ahead of time. You know, send it up all the way first and then kind of like work my way down. Um, and, and so, you know, when I'm done, uh, I just kind of like 
you know, scooch it in on the fumes right to my my feet and uh, you know hopefully we got enough and you know to to make something out of it but uh but yeah. I, I i i got it so That's but cool. it, it was just kind of an interesting experience like all right well don't know if we can do it but let's try yeah uh just out of interest does that um uh, does that uh, does drone flight does that require some kind of license or permit or something or, or is it just uh if you're doing it just for fun you know you don't have to have one uh you can just go pick one up from costco i uh, actually i saw that they've got a really good deal on the mavic 2 zoom oh, okay. or mavic 2 air right now for christmas so uh you know moms and dads out there if your kid <laughs> likes it go check it out so if you're just a hobbyist um you can go just pick one up and uh you know don't fly it near airports uh, and other restricted airspaces. Uh, DJI is pretty good about letting you know what those are, even in their app. But if you want to do it okay. in a professional capacity, you got to go get your FAA license if you want to be on the up and up and, you know, not get into trouble. If, if you ever do something, you know, you fly it into place and, you know, you, you get in, in a little hot water with the, uh, you know, law enforcement and all that stuff, you definitely want, you're, you're going to want to have that license with you. Yeah. Yeah. The guy on tips from the top floor was saying that, uh, uh, past a certain weight, uh, it, he, he's measured cramped. it in cramps. Yeah. Past a certain weight you had to, you had to be licensed or yep. you had to get a license. Actually, there was a story that they were going to start putting a, um, a, uh, identification, uh, tag on the drone in case you crash it so they can find you. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I'm like, uh Oh, I'm not sure if I'm, uh, for that or yeah, mixed, mixed feelings. <laughs> yeah. It seems a little more, um, uh, intrusive than I think I'm willing to accept, but yeah. eh, whatever. I'm sure there are, there are all kinds of people will be uh, counterfeiting those, uh, you know, counterfeiting those tags. Sure. So can, but you know, I'm sure they. It's like when you're out fishing, when the game warden comes by, you better have your license. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, exactly. man. Um, I think we'll end it here, and then we'll just uh, I'll chop it up and uh, do the intro, and it should be should be up probably by Monday. Sounds good, Mike. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me on again, man. All right, cool. Thanks for being on. Later. All right, see ya.